millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecutor. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We have a special guest this week. We're going to talk about a country that has been in the news, has been on the hearts and minds of people around the world. It is the nation of Afghanistan, and our guest is John Weaver. He used to live in Afghanistan. He's the author of several books, including Inside Afghanistan, A Flame on the Frontline, and Najiba, A Love Story from Afghanistan. We had him on to talk about that, his love story, his and his wife's love story. John, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Todd. It's a joy to be here with you. And I want to thank you. You actually were the most listened to episode in 2021. I remember we recorded quickly after the fall of Afghanistan, talking about what that meant, what it meant for the church. And so uh, I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with you at least a little bit. One of the things we talked about in that conversation, and you said something that has stuck with me, you said that the Taliban are fighters, they're not governors. Well, now they are the government. They are the people who are supposed to keep the power on and, and keep the water flowing. And what is the situation? How are they doing as governors? Is it stable on a day-to-day basis? Just kind of give us a picture of, mm-hmm. of what life is like. We're now seven months mm-hmm. into Taliban control. Yeah. Well, in Afghanistan, they're trying their best, but sometimes their best is not like it would have been in the past because they're limited with the resources. They're limited from outside assistance. Now, there are a lot of good things to share. I just want to mention it before I forget. <laughs> They actually are letting people like us back in the country. So that, I was going to ask about that because yeah. it's one of the things we asked people to pray about exactly. last time was exactly pray that right. they'll let aid workers back in. So I'm thrilled to That's hear right. that. So and having said that, they are getting some assistance from the international community and also countries that are you know bordering Afghanistan and Central Asia, but it's still very different. So when you talk to people who are non-Taliban, non-Pashtun people, life is very hard for them. They're talking about a harsh winter. Of course, now spring's just launched. We'll maybe mention that in a minute. Persian New Year is a big thing, but I just listened to a podcast (laughs) done by a Pashtun mullah, and he's preaching against the Persian New Year, but we we don't have time to get into all all of that because there is the Sunni-Shia divide and the Pashtu-Persian divide. But back to your question, it is extremely difficult for the average Afghan because there's the lack of assistance from the international community. Economy is just not very well. Many of them lost their jobs because, I mean, you know, in any government turnover, even, you know, in any country, things just happen. It can can disrupt the economy and and people's livelihood and their jobs. And so there are thousands of Afghans that were affected by this, partly because they may have lost family members in this process, either through death or they've evacuated or they've left the country. So some breadwinners are no longer in the picture. So there are some sad elements to that, but we want to try to focus on some of the positive things as well. Absolutely. Where are we at as far as Christians? I know we talked last time about what the Taliban thinks Mm -hmm. about Christians, especially 
converts, people who were born in Muslim families. What is the situation for Christians now? Well, a lot have left in the last six months. We know that, that we've talked about that and we're praying about that and different organizations are involved in helping them and resettling. But those that are staying behind or those that may, actually, I just read something else. Uh, even recently, there were some Afghan families that heard the gospel and they've become you know, followers of Christ because in desperation, you're seeking, you're looking, you're searching. There is more readily uh, available you know, gospel witness primarily through the internet, Mm -hmm. but through local believers as well. So we're going to use the same phrase, they're like sheep among wolves. We don't mean that judgmentally towards the Pashtun Taliban people necessarily, just the context of their life. But now it's it's kind of been escalated. So that phrase has always worked for any Muslim (laughs) context. But in this context, it's very much sheep among wolves in a heightened way. So they're still underground. We know about that. Listeners will understand that. They're still house to house. It's still small group. It's still very secretive in that regard. But there are still thousands of followers of Jesus in Afghanistan. And one of the things we talked about on a previous visit was there are Christians in every province of Afghanistan. Is, is that still true in, in spite of the Taliban takeover? We believe it's still true, but we do know that through migration and moving that there would be some provinces right now that might have less, might might be down to zero, but they're still going and Uh coming, happening. And as I said, even this recent report shows there are some new fruits. There are some first fruits in this this season of Taliban 2.0. And... um, But sadly, as we mentioned before, some of the first-generation leaders, house church leaders, followers of Christ, they have—the have Lord's moved them on. John, after the the Taliban takeover in August, we heard some stories of them hunting for Christians, them looking at people's phones to see, hey, do you have the Bible on your phone? Mm -hmm. Is that a pattern? Is that something that is a regular part of the Taliban governing, for lack of a better word, or— or, or was that sort of in the in the takeover and it's kind of calmed down? That's still happening. It's not happening all over the country, but sometimes it's kind of ambiguous to know, is it targeted to something specific or are they just looking for anything that's kind of non-strict Sunni Muslim, if that makes sense? Right. Because you have Shias and Sunnis in the country. You have different ethnic, ethnic backgrounds in the country, and you have different ways that the Taliban might think you've been influenced by the West because you speak English or because you've been to a, you know, a school that was operated by international people or you may have had a connection with the American government or the military. So there's times where it appears they are looking for things. The obvious is, well, let me see your phone because the phone can tell a lot, you know, right. what's on the person's phone. <laughs> our, our phones could tell a lot about <laughs> us, too. <laughs> exactly. So that's, and there's times where you may have heard reports, listeners have, where they've been going door to door and doing different things. And recently we, we got a report, and I actually think it was partly true on the surface, they were looking for guns. And then people would say, well, why are they looking for guns? Well, if you control the guns, then the more you can control the whole bigger picture of the country. But often they're looking for what we would call factions. There are these little seg- little side shoots of you know, radical Islam, people that might rise up against them and therefore bring you know, bare arms, so to mm-hmm. speak. So the recent report was they actually were going door to door. But the reports we got from friends there, even followers of Christ, they weren't harmed, they weren't injured. It appeared they really were looking for 
weapons. Now, if someone speaks negative against them, well, then sadly, you know, right. there's, there's ramifications for that. But uh, yes, they still are trying to, it looks like, cleanse things, so to speak, from foreign influence. How much, you've mentioned the Pashtun people several times, how much does the tribal or the ethnic animosity play into all of this? Yeah, so the Pashtuns primarily are the dominant or the majority, you know, group, people group, ethnic group, but also have Pashtuns in Pakistan. So there's an influence Mm -hmm. in that regard as well. They're also Sunni Muslims, so they're more strict. And so a lot of it is kind of related to some ancient history about the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, contrary to the other border, which is Iran, and those are Persians, those are Farsi speakers, those are more ethnically Persian, Tajik, uh, and most of them, at least the Iranian Persians, are more Shia background. We're not often aware of that. We hear a news clip or we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. There is some of this ancient underpending between Sunnis and Shias and Pashtuns and the other ethnic groups. They believe they're the real Afghans. They believe it's their land. But it doesn't appear they're doing ethnic cleansing like we've seen in other mm-hmm. you know, tragic countries, you know, circumstances. Uh, there is some of that conflict, but it's not on a wide scale where they're trying to ethnically cleanse the place. And it's also one saving grace could be Pashtuns have intermarried. And there, is been, there has been overlap, you know, some of the tribes mm-hmm. uh, because of seasons of freedom and just seasons of overlap and where they've, they've rubbed shoulders and they've interacted somewhat peacefully. But now there is this Taliban Pashtun ethnic resurgence that, you know, we're the main ones. You know what I'm saying? We're We've got to have control and yeah. we're in charge here. So— if I'm a Pashtun walking down the street in Kabul and I see another person, do I instantly know that's a Pashtun or that's not a Pashtun? I mean, can they tell on sight? Well, sometimes you can because the Hazaras are ethnically Asian. They have more Asian features, okay. so they're more distinct. More like Tajik and that's right. Okay. Now they've been a minority group and kind of you know kind of oppressed because they're mostly Shia Muslims and they have different features and their accent might be a little bit different. Yeah. So if I'm a Pashtun, it's not stereotypic, but right. I might have a longer beard. You know what I'm saying? I might be wearing a lingi, you know what I'm saying, more traditional clothing that kind of can set me off. But my features are going to be a little bit different. Okay. Uh, and my language, I'm going to, of course, many Afghans can speak Pashtun. But once you start speaking, you're going to find out, is this a native speaker or not? But at first sight, no. I mean, then you think about women. You know, women are often covered, so they're not pegged right. necessarily. It just depends on regionally. If you could really determine, oh, this is a Pashtun, this is a Tajik, this is a Zara, there could be some features and some dress, but often it's not very obvious. Uh, John, what does evangelism look like in in the current context of Afghanistan? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we're not talking about a guy with a bullhorn on the street corner uh, open up to the Gospel of John. What does it look like to be an evangelist right yeah. now? Well, I I do want to mention the power of social media. I want to start with that, also because some listeners, this will resonate with them. So in this migration of Afghans now being scattered, some listeners might know this happened some decades ago, and a lot of those who were followers of Christ or 
came to be followers of Christ have been very influential in social media and media ministries, many of which mm-hmm. we support. Right. So let's start with that. And, and we have had some of those people exactly. here on VOM Radio. So just if you go in the archives at vomradio.net, you can hear from some of those folks. That's right. Anyway. And it's likely we might, in not soon, but sometime in the future, have some newer ones in. because ah, So wonderful. now here we could give an example of here were some local followers of Jesus in the country, God led them on. We've known them for years. People like us have been in relationship with them and ministry partnership for years. Now they're in a different part of the world. could be America, but a different country, a different location. And now they are doing social media ministry back into their, to their home country, to their home people in multiple languages. Sometimes it looks official. Sometimes it's more grassroots, organic, uh-huh. just through the social media. So let's celebrate that, that in Amen. one way there could be more of a witness being launched into the country in multiple languages through multiple medium, you know, social media platforms. But then in the country, it's going to be life on life in local relationships. We call it an oikos. Everybody has a circle of influence. And so... We know some dear brothers and sisters who are still being salt and light, still being a witness, kind of like the leaven in the dough, not with a megaphone on the, on the, on the loudspeaker <laughs> in the country. Now, social media is right. like a megaphone, a megaphone. from yeah. outside in, but when you're inside, you don't have a megaphone, but you have your life, you have prayer, you're meeting persons of peace, and actually, there have been several of our ministry partners in the country that have said because of this oppressiveness and because of the desperation, and even the scriptures say that, in the day of trouble, cry out to me, the Lord says, and I will hear and answer. I mean, he's, he's put eternity in everyone's heart. He's pursuing them, and he, he weeps with them. He sees the pain that they're in, and he's reaching out and pursuing them. And so some of our partners in the country have said they have had many, multiple opportunities to share, to be salt and light, to serve, to give food, to you know, reach out in practical, tangible ways, but then to slowly, slowly talk about the story of God, mm-hmm. talk about the good news, and talk about how they've discovered eternal life through Jesus Christ. The last time we talked, uh, we, we mentioned the government next door to Afghanistan, Iran, mm-hmm. the Islamic Republic of Iran, the mullahs in charge of the government, and how that has driven people mm-hmm to Christ. It has driven people to want something different. We asked people to pray that that would happen in Afghanistan with the Taliban in control, that they would see that face of Islam and say, okay, what else is out there? Mm-hmm. What I hear you saying is that that ha- our, that prayer has been answered yes. and is being answered even, even right now. That's right. It, so please continue to pray that. Many Muslims would talk about this dissatisfaction with Islam because of various circumstances, you know, depending upon what country or context they live in. And so, like even the podcast I heard today, I could imagine thousands of Afghans hearing this radical Talib Mullah, Imam, you know, and, and, and God loves him. He's created in God's image, and may, God re- may Jesus reveal himself to him. But he's preaching against the Persian New Year, saying if you, basically the essence of it is, if you celebrate the Persian New Year, if you bought your kids some new clothes, if you said, you know, Edi Tabriki Navruz, which would be like Happy New Year, you're a coffer, you're an unbeliever, you're not really a true Muslim. And I realize it's the Sunni Shia issue right. and the Pashtun Persian issue. I realize all that. 
But what it does is it calls many, in this case, may it call, cause multitudes of Afghans to say, if that's what this is, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So pray that in this, it is sad what's happening in the country, but may it create a dissatisfaction, a discontentment with the status quo and, and with things that really don't you know, represent reality and a real relationship with God, and may it cause thousands and thousands of, of, of Afghans to, to turn to the Lord. John, you mentioned that aid workers are being allowed in. What What's that process like, or or how scary is that mm-hmm. to say, okay, yeah, I want to fly to Kabul, I want to I want to help out. How dangerous is that mm-hmm. with the Taliban in control of the country? Well, one quick reminder is before nine eleven, the Taliban did control most of the, most of the country. I was there during that right. time before nine eleven, and there were organizations that were there serving the Afghan people. So now jumping ahead. You know, into 2022, the Taliban being in full control of the country, they are letting organizations come back. Now, when I say organizations, we mean any organization that either would have been registered before or who now is saying we want to help the Afghan people. But it's being filtered through a Taliban government. So not to go into any details, but it's very likely they could say, well, no, sorry, we don't need your assistance, okay? Now, in the minds of the Taliban, you as an American citizen, do they just assume you're a Christian? I mean, is that kind of their perception? That's going to be their perception that in general, those of us coming from the West, particularly Americans, we're coming from a Judeo-Christian background and probably are, 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 are Christians. And now some of these organizations are registered as Christian organizations, mm-hmm. meaning compassion, you know, faith-based humanitarian organizations. And yes, they have allowed some of those to enter back into the country, but still it's under their rules, it's under their guidelines. So what we've been praying is, Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest, send the workers that you have for this season, and may the Taliban welcome and receive them and allow them. So we do know organizations have been going back. There's a small number of you know, international workers, not not necessarily just Americans. When right. I say international, yeah, yeah. they could be from any nationality, even from Central Asian countries, right? Uh, even Middle Eastern countries, you know, or European countries. But they are slowly going back to assist the people. And then we know, you know, God will be in that. He will give them opportunities to share their faith and to be a blessing and to be salt and to be light. And we want to continue to pray this is not, not the time for anyone and everyone to go because there's different rules, there's different regulations, there's a different government. So if someone's going, in my opinion, uh, from faith-based perspective, they need to know clearly from God, this is what he's calling me to do for this season, for such a time as this, to be salt and light. And I'm going to live within the guidelines I'm being asked to, but of course I'm going to practice my faith. I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to you know, do good works and see how God might use me as salt and light and leaven in the dough. How dangerous is that for, for a foreigner and a Christian, someone who's identified kind of publicly as a Christian? Mm-hmm. How dangerous is it for them to be in Afghanistan right now? Well, if they're a non-Afghan, the danger is less. So the, the immediate danger is for Afghans. Mm-hmm who are not following by the rules, you know what I'm saying? And even more so if they have become followers of Christ. So if you're from another ethnicity, meaning an international, 
Well, it's really more you got to go through the hoops to get there. But now once you're there, there is a danger because of the context. But I would say it's not immediate danger, meaning, you know, daily in your face, as long as you're, quote unquote, living by the guidelines. Right. So meaning if an organization says we're here for humanitarian purposes, we're going to help these families that are living in these tents. Well, you have to do that. And yeah, you're going to be monitored. You know what I'm saying? You might be followed. You might be watched. And you might have a little bit of antagonism or opposition. You know, what are you, why are you here? What are you doing this? But in that case, it's kind of like what the Lord Jesus said. You let your light so shine before men, and they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And in all the books that I've written, Todd, and listeners would know this, at many times I've had very conservative Muslims defend us by saying, yes, they're following, they're followers of Jesus, but they're people of the book. They believe in God and look at all the good work that they're doing. And they would almost defend us, almost put their neck on the line for our own safety. And sometimes that happens when you're walking in the fear of the Lord. And when you're walking in humility and serving the people, it can reduce the danger. However, the heightened danger is going to be, as I don't want to go into all the details, the listeners would know, is if I'm getting very, you know, active in certain right. areas, then that's going to increase the possibility of being a target or being a threat. You mentioned the, the idea of a person of peace mm-hmm. and someone who, okay, I, I do feel like this is someone I can share with. How do you how do you go from a new friend that you've just met? To really feeling like, okay, this this is a person of peace. This is mm-hmm. a person that God has opened up to hear the gospel. Yeah. What what's kind of your thought process or or the checklist yep. that you need to see checked off to get to that point? Well, there's new, normally a few things. It starts with hospitality, but hospitality is true in all that part of the world. But that's the initial thing: is are they welcoming? Are they hospitable? Are they inviting me into their space? And that could be at a tea house. It could be in their house. It could be at a business, wherever it is. But is there the initial welcoming? But that's not enough because most people in the Eastern world will do that, right? right? But then we would say, is there the welcoming of the message? Meaning it could be them initiating it by saying, hey, Todd, tell me what you believe. You seem to be so peaceful and you seem to really have a, a relationship with God and you seem to really know that God loves you. Tell me about that. That can be another indicator. But then the bigger, like the icing on the cake would be when you respond and then you share, if I continue to ask questions out of hunger or thirst or curiosity, that could be a clue, like a little knock on on your head. Hey, Todd, I'm at work here. God's saying, I'm at work here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This is a person of peace. I'm working in their lives. I'm drawing them. And if it continues that way, like, hey, can we get together again? Or would you like to come to my house? Or I ask more questions. Or I... That's kind of how it starts. So in many ways, they're driving the conversation with their questions and with their curiosity. It's not like you're trying to force Jesus right. into the conversation. You're not forcing it. You might take initiative. That, so our thing would be, in this case, just doing it since it's us here, well, in a conversation, well, Todd, can I pray with you about whatever you just mentioned? And I pray for you and see how you respond. If you don't respond or you just, you know, don't take it to the next step, then that's, that's okay. God still can work in your life. Maybe right. you'll have a dream or some encounter right. later. I planted a seed. But if you come back and start asking more, then I am going to come ask some more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask, well, 
tell me about your relationship with God. You know, do you have hope? Do you have peace? And tell me about, you know, different things. So I might take some spiritual initiative, but usually I'm going to say, which means, is there permission? And I'm going to ask you questions. But a clear indication is based on your response and the questions you come you okay. come back. Because if you're antagonistic, you know, or debative, you know, trying to make a debate and just make an argument, well, often then we don't we don't pursue that because that's not that's right. not fruitful. It's not peaceful. And uh, so it, it can be a two way thing. But mm-hmm. a lot of times it is initiated by the person asking spiritual questions. Tell me about the Lord. Tell me about this. And maybe even asking for something to read. And the readers would know what that mean or asking more spiritual questions in that in, in, in that way. Similar, what we would do here, if we were really doing a training, we would say in the scriptures, where do you see some persons of peace? So obviously the woman at the well, you know, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jail, the listeners, you know, who are like-minded could, 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 could then find out, oh yeah, I see what happened in that story and how the person knew and how they started the conversation, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what strikes me is that that philosophy is true not only in Afghanistan, that, that philosophy yes. works very well in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, or in wherever our listeners are listening as well. Let's talk about refugees, because we saw the planes full yeah. of people flying all over the world. There are refugees actually right here in Tulsa. There was a group that was resettled here. How how are their lives, now that they're in a different place, mm-hmm. in a safer place, but a completely different place yeah. than anything they've ever known. Uh, and what is happening as far as ministry to try to plant some seeds with, with the refugees? Yeah. Well, to start with their journey from back to August, September, even when some of them left, they've been on a traumatic, stressful yeah. journey to get to where they are now. We know, though, God set the times and the seasons and the you know that people would seek after him and find him because in him we live and move and have our being. So back to the heart of your question— Thousands. I mean, it could have been up to 80,000 were processed through military bases here in the States. That's just the way it worked out. I had the privilege of going and interacting with some of them during that time. I've been to different places where they're currently now settled here in the United States. I've been doing trainings with different organizations that are reaching out to them. Primarily, my part is more the cultural, spiritual engagement, not so much you know, how to get a house. You know, that, that, right. I've done that type of stuff, and that's important. And we want to encourage those that are involved in refugee resettlement because it can be taxing, but yet it is such an expression of God's compassion. But I've been doing more. Here's a little bit about their life, their culture, ways to interact with them, even things we've talked about even here uh, this morning. So for many of them, it is still hard, challenging, stress, you know, brokenness because they miss their family. But we, we do know a lot of positive stories of dozens of places here in the United States and other countries as well where they've been scattered, where they've been welcomed, they've been received, primarily by followers of Jesus. Again, many of them have actually said, we would have thought on this journey, it would have been the Muslims that would have helped us. Very seldom did that happen. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. But, but, but in a majority sense, it's been the people the people of God, the followers of Christ that have compassionately welcomed them, served them, helped them in terms of resettlement where they're, where they're at. Some of them now are involved in ministry. As I mentioned earlier, we're helping them in that mm-hmm. way or other partner organizations that we have. 
Some of them have actually started some house churches in different places where they're, where they're located. And uh, so there's a lot of things to celebrate because, you know, God's big. He's the God of all peoples. He's the God of all creation. He's the God of all nations. And somehow, even in the movements of people, all throughout from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, people had been on the move. And, and God uses that. And we want to celebrate that, but it has created a big need as well because there are still places where it's like a refugee crisis and they really do need you yeah. know, practical assistance. Most of these people see themselves as permanently out of Afghanistan, right? They don't, they don't see this as a temporary, hey, you know, in five years it'll be better and I'm going to go back home. They see themselves as, well, I'm in America now or I'm in Germany now or, and I'm here forever. Well, it depends on who you ask. There's okay. a mixture of that. So we have some very close friends, like-minded friends, passionate followers of the Lord, that they hope one day to, to go back physically, not just the social media way, right. but physically. And there are even others that we've interacted with that have said, you know, I, that's my homeland. I mean, the homeland is a very special place, humanly speaking. Mm-hmm. We know ultimately our home is with the Lord in heaven. So many of them have said, no, we do hope to go back and it's also, as some listeners would know, traditionally Afghanistan has been that if you, if you were born there and had an Afghan passport, you were allowed to go back regardless of where you resettled in the world because Afghans have been scattered you know, for, for, for years. And so we're praying and hoping some will go back, primarily those that, uh, that do know the Lord that could go back and be salt and light and have more of a tangible witness. Amen. What are the biggest needs right now? We, we, you know, last time you were here, we prayed that the banks would open. Mm-hmm. What are the things we need to pray for right now for the country of Afghanistan and for our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who are there? Well, starting with our brothers and sisters, it's a similar thing, that, that, that they would know God's peace, they would know God's provision, even miraculous provision at times because of the context that they're in, but that they would also experience just God's joy, even though they're in the midst of suffering at times. And there's that dichotomy of, you know, joy and suffering and, and joy and sorrows, you know what I'm saying? And, but that they would really know that for such a time as this, God has me here, and I can be a, a salt and light, you know, small witness, a small light, you know, in this, uh, and that we would see that organically spread because that's still God's heart, that's our passion, and that social media, what's happening from the outside would fuel that you know what I'm saying? And, but then thinking about the government in a bigger picture, the country, let's continue to pray for the Taliban, uh, because there's different, there's different levels of what it means to be a Talib. Some are very strict and conservative and radical and extreme, but some really aren't. They're, they're down-to-earth Pashtun men that love Afghanistan, and they love the people of Afghanistan, and they're not all from a terrorist mindset. And so, well, let's like like we would pray in any government context. Let's pray that those type of guys would have a voice and and want to do things that are good for the country and want to open up banks and want to invite people back in and want to have more of a you know an international relationship for the good of the whole country, not just their own little ethnic group, if that makes sense. But then speaking of the diaspora and refugees, as you mentioned, let's pray for organizations that are reaching Afghans in different diaspora countries because. I mean, it very well could be that, you know, there are thousands of them that become followers of Christ. I wish I could give more, say, say more here, right. but, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it very well could be that, you know, th- you know, thousands of scriptures could be given out and thousands of witnesses could be, you know, done in this context and thousands of them could become followers of Christ. 
not only for their own selves and to be witnesses where they're scattered, but again to have an influence back into their, back into their home country. And then um, just praying for strongholds, you know, breakthroughs, praying for God's light to shine, you know, among the Afghan people that he loves so much and every different ethnic tribal group. When we think about the end of the story, worthy is the lamb that was slain because he's redeemed us by his blood from every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue. We want to see that again among all the different ethnic groups of, 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 of Afghanistan. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.